0: Welcome to the Tri Tech Games Podcast. Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This
1: is Trav. This is Amber.
2: Welcome to the TriTac Games podcast, your podcast of pulling it all together and having an awesome game. This week, we're having a fringe-worthy bring it all together and just kind of summarize what we have been doing for the last, is it three years, Blix? Yes, three years and then some. Okay, because yeah. actually we're, we're on our third year, and it's been really great. And we have been having just uh, tons and tons of episodes on Fringeworthy. So we know that a lot of people have come in a little later. Not everybody has w- listened to every show. We don't understand why that is, because every one of them's golden, right, John? Yep. We said, okay. You know, we've talked about you know, how to start the game. We've talked about so many things. We just want to pull together and say, all right, this is the way the game should be done. And let's just talk about the most important Just Hit them. Let's bang that gong so you can get basically the overview of it and get pointed to the directions you need to go in order to flesh out anything that you don't have totally down as far as making an awesome, fringe-worthy game. One thing that I want to make
3: sure we cover before we before we move on to the the, um, the next portion of making um, adventures, because uh, this is important to character creation, because we've talked about this a lot when it comes to Frenchworthy. You should try to create a character that's a little eclectic in some ways, because that reflects the one in one hundred thousand variable. Not everybody is a SEAL team member. Yeah. Not everybody is, you know, a homicide investigator. You know, we talked about like a Somalian taxicab driver, a rich Chinese power broker. Because it's random, you know, who, who gets to be fringe-worthy and who, who doesn't.
1: Oh, yes, yes. I remember in the d 20 that actual, quote-unquote, combat professions are rather rare. You're going to get the doctors, the housewives, the mailmen... The, the average Joe who just has that unknown quantum energy signature that enables him to use this technology. So, yeah, your characters are going to be very eclectic because they could be of any occupation.
3: Let's not forget the, the real important part of this, though, is we still want to bring the awesome to the game. Playing a housewife, if, I mean, if you're really just like a typical like middle American housewife, your character is going to be dead in no time, probably. Because you just don't have the skills to survive in such a hostile environment. And that's nothing against housewives. I mean,
0: if I were a character, I probably wouldn't last very long either. You probably wouldn't last as long as a housewife either, but you know.
4: I have and I know how to use it.
3: You know, you want to try and take that aspect, but then still make a character who's really cool to play like no nobody wants to play the character who can't do anything so that's why we're talking about i I said somalian driver, but imagine like an iraqi um taxi driver who's still like in iraq today you know operating as a taxi driver you're talking about somebody who is a top level combat driver who knows how to spot ieds and uh knows how to identify dangerous characters and he probably knows how to fight a little bit he is sort of a combatant in a way because he grew up in a combatant area. But you don't picture him as your typical combatant because, again, he, he's a taxi driver stuck in an unfortunate location. It's that bad part that makes him a cool character. Or like we were talking about the you know, – let's say you're an 18-year-old kid who lived in Africa where they have the blood diamonds and stuff and you happen to be a victim – of being put into one of these you know these gangs where you have to shoot people who run away from you know working in the mines and stuff and you're you escape and turns out you're worthy and the UN brings you in and you become a Frenchworthy member well now you know you're this poor unfortunate kid comes with a lot of baggage you know from having to do some horrible things cuz you didn't have a choice but you're also a combatant you know how to shoot a gun you've taken lives before it's not um, it's not going to be a brand new thing for you. it's not going to cripple you even though you don't really particularly like it so much that's why you wanted to get out of it but you're still kind of a combatant you could be a veterinarian let's say you're a really great veterinarian and you're, you're a 50 year old guy and it turns out you're fringe worthy so now maybe you're playing the older guy but you could also say well I'm also well read and I know all this stuff and I've I actually was going to engineering school before I became a veterinarian, so I got some levels in engineering and stuff. So you can still you know, you'd be kind of the scientist sort of doctor, but you're coming at it from a totally different angle than like oh, I'm the top doctor at Hopkins and that's why I joined IDET. You know what I mean? No
2: character should be a one trick pony. All characters yeah, yeah. should right. be drawing on a vast array of skills that they may not even realize that they have because they're taking skills that they have and putting them toward other uses. And the fact that they are going to be received, you know, the, the, their basic training and it's survival and weapons use, they're going to get that when they, they join IDET, anyways. So it's more about what are the other elective skills that you're going to bring in that your GM can then use to build amazing adventures where you're like, well, I'm this, mm-hmm. but hey, look, I can do, I can use them. And in a different and amazing way over here, especially when I combine them with the skills of the other players who are bringing in interesting and unusual
0: backgrounds as well. Oh, yeah. One of the characters in my playtest is an evangelical uh, uh, reverend. And yes, and, and he's actually turned out to be one of the more successful characters because, you know, we we try to emphasize, you know, sometimes fighting is necessary, but when it comes down to talking, he's probably the, he's the face person of the team, and, and Brian, who plays him, uh, when he goes gets into full mode, is like it's just something wonderful to hear. <laughs> uh, he's just he does a great job of uh, playing playing an evangelical uh, 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 preacher. And you know, especially when he's pretending to be an Anglican priest in, in England, I never thought of that. You know, a priest being a face man—that's pretty cool. Yeah, of course, he's also the one who's taken out at least two bad, two of the two big bad guys by shooting them with uh, non-lethal weapons. You know, you can also play. You know, here's a cool
3: character. You want to play the housewife, right? You throw another angle in there. You're a victimized housewife. Like, um, what's her face? Uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez was in that movie where she wanted to get revenge and she she started working out at the gym and learning kickboxing and, you know, and you got a taser and you learned how to use that and you learned how to shoot a gun. Well, that's
4: because it's Angelina Jolie.
3: Was it, oh, was it Angelina Jolie? Okay, I, I didn't know who it was. I, I don't even know if I saw it.
4: Something else you need to think about, um, I John mentioned this, is not just their competitive skills, but their diplomacy, their ability to bluff, how charismatic they are, how able they are to just pick up and pretend they know what they're doing, how well they can hold themselves, are they skittish, are they brave, how well are they able to adapt to a change, are they stoic, or are they very radical? I would think that a, a cab driver would be charismatic and diplomatic to be able not just to see and tell who is and who isn't trustworthy, but to be able to earn favor so that they are preferred. A higher survival rate in evasion, I would think. avoid yeah. Avoiding confrontation as much as confrontation.
3: Yep. Um, imagine a high-level, a high-paid call girl. Now, call girls go beyond the whole prostitute thing in that they give you the whole
2: package. They're a companion the same way that the geisha are companions.
1: They're trained in diplomacy and seduction and and certain, well, back in the day, courtly skills, but these days they're like amateur psychologists now. They have to know how to know people.
3: Or your character concept could be gold digger and you're still talking about the same kind of character, right? (laughs) Imagine that's your face man because they know how to manipulate people. They're good at it. They're naturals at it. It's what they've spent their life doing. So then you could have a face man that's totally from out of nowhere. It's like – this is how you got your face man it's like hey she's good or he's good
2: (laughs) well Blix, when you were talking about your guy who was escaped from the blood diamond mines i'm thinking to myself anybody who could escape or survive in that environment is got to be a pretty quick thinker a pretty good talker i was thinking him as the face man yeah yeah there's no reason why that couldn't be maybe he wasn't like a killer maybe he was just you know maybe that is your face man right so the oh. background of the character doesn't determine, unless you want it to, their skills. I mean, you get to
0: choose from these backgrounds, all kinds of different ways that you could develop your character. Oh, yeah, like the, we mentioned, I did in the play test. He was a former child soldier, and when he got found, and when he got found, he was actually testifying about being a former child soldier in the UN. And Sawyer so he was there, going bing, 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 and picked him right up. So that's how he got found, you know. And it, and the thing is, his background. When I wrote his background up, it, it went. You know, he basically he was a broken broken home. His mother, his mother got remarried again, and his his, father, his his new father turned out to be a guy who's basically recruits child soldiers. And hey, I got a kid, and went took him from there, and he, you know, it, it's it's a fairly. I give him a lot of extra skills, such as he, you know, ended up getting out and started repairing cars. So his skills are, are his car repair and stuff like that. So you may not be a very good driver, but you can fix your car, that's for sure. <laughs> or I was working on or another character I came up with for the for the uh, for the different playtests. She's an uh, Aboriginal singer. She's a pop singer. There's another face person right there. <laughs> You know she also has skills in singing, which means she she can actually put on a good show. not
2: only is she is a good entertainer, but she's also a ready source of income when you go to worlds where you may not have the proper kind of money. or you may not, as you said in some of your stories, John, you had to have a special license in order to buy and sell things. So you just couldn't plop out a, a a bunch of stuff and say, "Here, buy this, give me money And they say, "Oh, no, I'm sorry that's illegal. But performers, a lot of, most of them really could come and go as they please and just put
0: a, and put out a, a hat and money would come in if they were good. And she could do top 40 and no one would know. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I like about my current playtest group is that they all make sure they give the characters backgrounds. In fact, two of the characters are married. So we, when they come back home, we deal with their wives and so forth. Oh, they're not married to each other. Have any of you guys ever dealt with that? Uh, uh, married,
2: Fringeworthy uh, members? No. In the same team? Nope. Can't say I have. I mean, it could happen. Yes. I mean, you're out there a long time. You're in a mixed gender group. Things can happen. People can get together. Like minded people can decide to make things permanent. Yep. Romance can happen, even on the fringe pass. Now, of course, if your group happens to be all a bunch of guys or all a bunch of girls, well, and I mean the players then that might be a little awkward, but that's all depends on what your players are about.
1: Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you, Trav. Thank you, Amber. And Amber. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be afraid to also include relationships to each other as part of your character concepts. Because when you start playing the game, you're probably going to have already gone through training over at Alice Springs, you're going to have at least six months under your belt. If, if you're playing the later campaign, you could even be children who have grown up through a fringe academy and been preparing most of your lives to go out and be on the fringe paths. And you could have become teenage sweethearts. You could have someone on your team that you had a love affair with years ago and are now uh, assigned on the same team with them. Build those relationships between each other. Make your characters the most interesting as possible, and they'll make them even more fun to play.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's always good to have not only player connectivity, because I, I've been, well, it, it the group has changed, but I've been part of the same gaming group. Uh, my other co-host, Sven, he and I have known each other for 23 years, and it's because we've been in the same gaming group, but also we try to give The characters in the group, some form of connectivity, like, okay, you know those two people, and, oh, like, play character A knows B and C, and C knows D and E, and E has met A back. If you have that connectivity, it gives a reason for character Mm -hmm. group cohesion, which you need that in order to be able to act together. I mean, the Alice Springs basic training helps, too, because... You will, At the very least, you'll have trained together for six months. You have that as a uh, a hook where you might have had stuff happen during the training. If there are male and female characters, there might have been some, quote-unquote, fraternization going on.
4: And it doesn't necessarily have to be good relationships. I'm sure that the relationships between the characters could be... Anything from as benign as a slight animosity to a downright hatred. Maybe a bad experience and they parted on very ill terms. High school sweetheart that broke your heart. Husband that cheated on you. Someone who you thought had died. Oh, look, they're still here. And now I have to work with them.
2: Those are all great ideas, Amber. And I hope all of our listeners will put that into their characters. And these characters, aren't, they'll just have to be human beings, as, as we mentioned before. This is that we have done a lot of episodes, and we're going to be doing a lot more episodes on the Alien Corps, which include all the different fringeworthy races that we've all this part of the base game. We've talked about the, the zeal, which were far more than the aboriginal hunter that most people originally, we, which we started off with, the Damixi, the spider-like creatures, and all the other ones that were introduced in the most latest edition, the Slarg, the Old Men, the Kegak, even the Pangorn. Pangolus, yeah. Uh, the Pangolus, and of course, the Broop.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, the <laughs> Broopians. Yeah.
2: Which are actually uh, three creatures that combine together to form a tamellaran tree. Three of your character, or the characters of the team could... Well, actually, I, I think you'd all have to be playing all three of them at the same time. Oh, I, thought
1: uh, I, thought just, one, <laughs> I just thought one Brubian grew into a Termelarn home tree. I didn't know that three of them had to be together.
2: They're a triplet. They grew, Three of them grow together into a Termeloran tree. That's why you always see three of them together.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. All right. See, That's as it's I said, I've been working with this group for a decade and still learn new stuff. Okay.
2: Our hosts are constantly re- uh, having revelations, and so should you. So yeah. I'm saying, look, check into those episodes. That was 105 for the Zeal, 67 for the, the Mixi, 44 for the Alien Corps in general, and 39, uh, the first part, for the, the Fringe Walkers, which are anybody who walks the Fringe pass and aren't aligned with IDET, but we also include the Slarg, the Old Man, and the Kegak. That's all sources of awesome to bring to your characters. So once you have that together, okay, you've got this great team, you've got these great characters. Then now the GM's got to step up, and he's got to make great adventures. And there's a lot of resources for that. Episode seventy-five was all about making great adventures. How you know what are the things you want to hit on? How you know making the hooks, making the uh, the interesting NPCs. Blix, talk about the big bad, episode 68. What did we talk about there?
3: We talked about ways to not to nerf him for one, ways to not anticlimax the encounter with him. <clears throat> and also, I think the big message from that was to make it personal. I think that was the big, big oh, yeah. message that came out
2: of that. But who is the big bad?
3: Oh, he's he's the main bad guy that you'll have to deal with at some point. He's generally not the immediate bad guy that you deal with from game to game, uh, much like a video game. You know, he's he's the boss that you will get to eventually, and generally he has sub bosses messing with you. Not always, of course. Um, he can always be the one that's directly interacting with you, but that's generally not as much fun. It's you know, it's a lot more fun generally to keep him in the background until it's time to reveal him. He's basically your the nemesis. Long story arc villain. Yes. So you, you can have several short story arcs to get up to him, but if he's basically the only story arc, he's not really a big bad. He's just he's just kind of a bad. To be a big bad, you gotta kinda be epic. You know, you, you can't just be some guy the, the party was messing with. He's gotta be somebody who's kinda long term, you know. Like the Meller who actually has infiltrated I debt. And has been sending you on mission after mission, getting you screwed up and getting you to to do things and set things in motion for him all along until somebody figures out, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you're given enough clues that the game master bangs you over the head hard enough eventually that you go, something isn't right with this boss of ours. And you investigate and it turns out, oh my god, this guy is a Meller and he is the big bad. So that that's a good example of a big bad.
2: Right.
1: Uh, the, the big bad that uh, Amber came up with for serendipity is her own father, the incubus known as Arubre. Incredible power and influence across the multiverse. And obviously he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. And so one of the reasons why Saren was brought into Banger Maine, because the Bureau said, okay, She knows about the workings of the lower planes and all the demons and devils and whatnot. And what do you mean it's him that's running a lot of this? Are you kidding me? So yeah, um, Big Bad's, a good example, a current example would be the current incarnation of Moriarty on BBC's Sherlock, where he is a mastermind that seems to be everywhere, seems to know everything, uses misdirection to throw his adversaries off. Mysterious. That is usually the the main call word for the big bad. You're going to have him smoke and mirrors all the time. Meanwhile, he's going to be throwing his flunkies at you, and as time goes on, those flunkies are going to be getting more and more powerful as you go up that power pyramid, until finally, you, like Blake said, you find out who that big bad is, and then go after him.
4: I have a question. Yes. Does the big bad have to be a non-played character? Or can one of the players in the campaign possibly be the bad guy? Okay,
1: that would be something involved with talking with the GM and springing that at the last minute. You would have to keep in constant contact with that player saying, okay, now we're going to do this, now we're going to do this. Player character playing the big bad almost ends up becoming like a GM assistant because he is going to be given player information where he's going to be privy to stuff that the rest of the the gaming group does not know. Then again, that does make for a fantastic campaign because you find out all along that the person that's been screwing you over is sitting at your table and it's not the guy behind the GM screen.
2: And if your GM has offered that player uh, his character a path to redemption then the big bads could ultimately join up with your team and become a supportive character with all the baggage that that would include.
1: (laughs) If they don't kill that character.
4: (laughs) What if you're playing just the campaign normally, normally? Everybody who is playing the game assumes everybody else at the table is in the team. And then you find out later that the cleric that has been healing your wounds, mending every injury that you have, has been the person that has been sending these things to you the whole time.
3: We have done that. It's fun. You can only get away with it once in a great while with a group of yeah. people. So that, that enters the realm of what we call the Meller Factor, okay? Because this is this is something – we call it the Miller Factor only because it is seen – most predominantly when someone suspects that a meller has infiltrated the party or some group. And the instant that happens, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. I mean, paranoia strikes supreme. You've got people cutting each other every time someone turns their head. It's kind of fun at first, but then it becomes really miserable.
2: That's why I said you have to give the, that character a path to redemption in order for them to be able to bring them back and mend those relationships with the team and continue on from there. Otherwise, it will end up in destruction.
3: Well, what I was saying was is that it is it is fun. It's actually it's quite fun once in a great while. It is a trick that you cannot play more than, say, every other or every third campaign. If you do, then you're basically nerfing your own campaigns. You will wind up with a paranoid campaign every time you play because everyone will be like, OK, who's that guy this time? it it'll be awful but but once in a while it's it's actually it's a lot of fun even even being the guy who's on the worst end of the stick if you're a good role player if you're if you know if you're not whiny and you're 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 cool with just going with things and not always being in control it can actually be very interesting and it can be a lot of fun to go with it
1: and that would be something that it again experienced gamers would have to do because there might be players that may not like that. They may lose their mind if they find out that the player of this character has been privy to this. And it's like, you've done this to us all along here at this table, lied to us playing this character. And it's like, you got to That's another case of having an experienced gaming group do that.
3: Right. Hey, I'll tell you. All right, so our last campaign that we played, and we weren't playing Friends where they were playing another campaign altogether, but it doesn't matter because it's the, it's, the, it's the material that – it's the, the point of the material that matters. We had a guy who did that to the rest of the group, and the rest – all of us were cool with it. You know, When it, when it became revealed and you know, the, it was like basically the end of the campaign, it was the last adventure of the campaign, everything came out, and we had the final showdown. Everybody was cool with it except the guy that was that agent, that enemy agent of the group, because we killed him. You know that was the last adventure, and we wound up killing him, and he got picked off and, and didn't, and, and is not playing in our current campaign because of that. And it's just funny because <laughs> he's the least experienced of us, first off, so that that tells something. But secondly, he's the guy that was screwing us over, and we're not mad at him at all personally, but he's mad at us personally.
1: Okay, was this something that was arranged with the Game Master from Go, that he was going to be the, I believe the term is the Quizzling? It was his idea. And he ended up, That that's, yeah, that's not a very... That's
4: selfish.
1: Yeah, that's not a very, I mean, I'm not mm. bad-mouthing friend Blix, but yeah, that's something he... He knew going in that...
4: If you're going to play a bad character, you should know from the get-go that you're probably going to die.
1: Yeah, your character probably will not survive this. Now, Bruce, bring up the path of redemption, to bring the character back, let's say, okay, there was something wrong with the character psychologically, <laughs> he goes through therapy. Or there's a Termellar device that rewrites your gray matter. Or you find out that it was somebody, you know, posing as a character, and the real character has since been rescued and healed because they were in torture and all that, as long as that character can be brought back and it can still be incorporated in the campaign, that's fine. But yeah, usually the Quisling-type character, yeah, there's a good chance that they're not going to fare well when everything is brought to the fore. See, why I ask... The thing
3: is, is that he kinda set this up and he played into it. He thought it was funny to get over on us all the time. And when it came down and when it all came out, we were okay with it. We we got it, you know, it was like, all right, that's cool, you know, that's the character you wanted to play and you did it well, that's fine. And he did have paths to redemption. The game master actually purposely gave him opportunities to go down a different road and redeem himself. But the player is kind of immature, he's He's not a young guy either. He's just never really mature. He's not a mature player. And it's just the way it went down because I mean we we totally punked him and he was up I think that's really what it boiled down to. He was upset about that, the way the way it went down. If you're going to do that, everybody has to be okay with the fact that that's going to ha- something like that can happen, you know
2: in order to have the most fun in any role-playing game is for everybody at the table to be committed to the idea of having creating an awesome experience, okay? To be able to... If, if one person is going to play an evil character, okay, fine. Then, you know, it's, it's the other people's job to, to be the victims, you know, and then to turn the tables if they can and to bring it back on him and or her. So, I, I'm just... You're right, Blix. I mean, it's, it, it went down. He was immature But that's not what we're teaching here. We're teaching people to say, look, these are great ideas and you should incorporate them and you should work hard to make these character interactions as rich and powerful and emotionally invested as possible so that you can get the most out of your role-playing
3: experience. It can be fun and the rest of us seem to have fun with it other than him. So if you're going to do something like that and you're going to – you know, you're going to allow somebody to play uh, an enemy agent. You know, uh, an enemy within the party. You know, that's fine. Just make sure if you're going to do that, that everybody's mature enough to handle it. Uh, and it can be great fun. It can be a lot of fun. And that is a good way to um, actually expand on your adventures and do something different uh, that that can be very, very interesting. But again, it's tricky. It's a tricky road to go down.
4: See. What, why I bring it up is because one of my friends is heavily involved in a game, and she is playing as the enemy character, the, the, the big, bad, the, the final confrontation kind of person. But she, to my knowledge, has not been privy to any additional information. Up until a certain point, she knew just as much as every other player, and then one campaign they just twisted it completely around she wasn't in her tent she was missing they tried to find her she was nowhere to be found they go to where they think they're going to be confronting what they thought was the bad guy they find him dead they find who they thought was their friend standing over him and it was a complete shock to everybody and Granted, the entire group was really mature about it, as far as I know, but does the enemy character, the player, have to be privy to information, or can it be a last-minute twist?
1: It would help that the, the player of the enemy PC, it would help that they're in on the joke, because I've seen where okay, you're playing this character, and then they, Oh, no, no, she le-
4: wasn't on the joke. She knew from the whole start she was going to be the bad person. Okay. But does that person necessarily have to be privy to additional information? I would think so, to help
1: them further along this plot that the Game Master is going along with.
2: Yeah, yeah. unless you're an Academy Award thespian, I think that it takes a little preparation to bring your best game to the table. Right.
4: Well, what I'm kind of getting at is why does the the enemy necessarily need to know stats and so and such when just through role playing they can learn who their enemies are just by interacting and being their partner
1: that would be that's a darn good role player then but i'm still saying that i think that gm might want to say okay you want to play a bad guy big bad the person that near the end of the campaign they're going up against well, here's some things about the campaign you're going to need to know. So, yeah, I think that player playing the enemy within should be privy to some game master information.
3: Yeah, but you know what? You know what makes for a good game for if you're going to do that. And we're we're totally going off topic with this, I think, in a lot of ways. But um, yes, uh, just real quick, let's wrap this up. If you're going to do that, don't give him everything. If you're a game master, you want to be creative play him as much as he's playing the other players. Make sure that he is not the big bad, that there is a big bad that's playing him as hard as he's playing the rest of the team. so that the information that that, you know, the enemy the inside enemy character is getting is just as deceiving as all the other characters, but that player seems to think he has something more. And maybe he has a little bit more, but you know, there should be, some sense that when it's all said and done they feel just as stupid as the rest of the party at the end of the the whole thing.
2: I respect your opinion on that, Blake. I just don't happen to agree with it. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to do that, that's fine, but that's just one way of going about it. It's just as good to be on top of everything and be in it from the get-go. And if you don't want to give them a path of redemption, some people, they want to go out with a bang. They don't want to play the same character for 10, 15, or more sessions. They want to play their character for five sessions and go on to somebody else. So playing the, the big bad and going out with a bang is perfect for their character, for that player. I can see that.
1: The big bad is an essential part of making yeah. a great adventure because you need that thing at the end, that, that goal... Campaign art goal
2: We want to thank everybody for listening to us And we hope that we've been able to Pull it all together for you And and let you know That it is possible to create Awesome and amazing Fringeworthy campaigns And that you have a Huge amount of resources In our podcast uh, Especially our uh, Elder episodes And the other resources That are out there Such as Obsidian Portal And other things Please You know, start a campaign. Please create an awesome game for yourself. You know, create awesome characters. And please let us know that you've done this because we want to learn all about the great things that you've done with the Fringeworthy game and promote it on our podcast and let everyone know, you know, that you, with us, love this game. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer
0: saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players.
4: This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's
1: a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.